Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is December 17th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The United States surpassing 17 million coronavirus infections with more than 3,000 people losing their lives to COVID-19 in just the last 24 hours. The Pfizer vaccine rollout continuing across the country. Residents of long-term care facilities starting to receive their doses as officials gather to potentially approve a separate Moderna vaccine. And with a new jobs report painting a worsening picture of the economy, could desperately needed federal help finally be on the way? This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. And amid this winter storm blast in the Northeast, COVID-19 vaccine shipments are still on track. Frontline workers and now nursing home residents becoming the first to receive the vaccine, while an FDA panel of outside advisors is weighing the safety and effectiveness of Moderna's vaccine today. Confidence in COVID-19 vaccines is growing, according to Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. It's clear that many Americans are learning that these vaccines are safe and extraordinarily effective. Roughly 20 million doses could be delivered before the end of the year, many of them for frontline health care workers. This as some pharmacists make a stunning discovery. Some of the glass vials that are supposed to hold five doses contained enough for a sixth or even a seventh person. This set off a wave of confusion and debate over whether to use the extra doses or to throw them out. But on Wednesday, the FDA gave approval to use every full dose left in each vial. But now new fears. A treacherous storm may delay vaccine shipments. Despite winter storms hitting parts of the country, FedEx promising to deliver doses in time. However, the vaccine likely won't be readily accessible for most Americans until early to mid-2021. It's our best tool against COVID, but it's not here yet for everyone. We are not at the finish line yet, especially as we approach the holidays. As frontline workers get vaccinated, two healthcare workers in Alaska suffered an allergic reaction to the vaccine. Both employees work at Bartlett Regional Hospital. One of them was hospitalized but is now stable. Some nursing home residents are also receiving the vaccine already. In Florida, an 88-year-old resident at a long-term facility was among the first to receive it. Meanwhile, today, the FDA's Independent Advisory Committee is meeting to assess Moderna's vaccine. We're looking at a, about a 95 percent uh, efficacy on this vaccine, 100 percent at, pre at preventing severe illness. If it's authorized, nearly six million doses could begin shipping out soon after. President-elect Joe Biden is set to receive the COVID-19 vaccine next week. And according to the White House, Vice President Mike Pence could receive his first dose as early as tomorrow. That would be on camera. However, President Trump will not be getting a coronavirus vaccine anytime soon. The White House is saying he won't be administered a vaccine until the White House medical team recommends it. Dr. Fauci's opinion, though, is that Trump should get that shot. And all the while, the pandemic worsening its grip here in the U.S., the country surpassing 17 million cases of coronavirus, a million of those reported in just the last five days. The United States breaking all records on Wednesday on new case deaths and hospitalizations. This, as newly revealed emails, show how a Trump official was advocating for herd immunity 
Back in July, Lorraine Gassidis has the latest. COVID-19 in the U.S. again breaking records on every metric. We are not at the finish line yet especially as we approach the holidays. On Wednesday, almost 250,000 new cases were reported, deaths reaching 3,656 and hospitalizations surpassing 113,000, the highest number seen across the U.S. since the beginning of the pandemic. Health officials continuing to stress the importance of being cautious and patient. We need to be safer with masks, avoiding indoor crowds, keeping distance, all of these things are doubly important now. We don't want any lives to be lost when vaccination is just a few months away. The nation's current epicenter, California, reporting over 53,000 new cases. In Los Angeles, hospital hallways lined up with stretchers and doctors overwhelmed. Meanwhile, the Bay Area preparing to go into lockdown tonight after ICU capacity dipped below 15%. And as the country fights to control the pandemic, new emails obtained by Congress reveal a former Health and Human Services official advocated for herd immunity back in July, writing, infants, kids, teens, young people, young adults, middle age with no conditions, etc. have zero to little risk. So we use them to develop herd. We want them infected and recovered with antibodies. HHS now clarifying that herd immunity was never the strategy in combating the virus, something many experts have warned against. This as the president's allies distance themselves from his messaging. The former governor of New Jersey now advocating for masks after being hospitalized with the virus. You know, lying in isolation in ICU for seven days, I thought about how wrong I was to remove my mask at the White House. Today, I think about how wrong it is to let mask wearing divide us, especially as we now know you're twice as likely to get COVID-19 if you don't wear a mask. And medical experts are warning that the worst days of the pandemic are still ahead of us. The CDC is now projecting that the death toll could reach 391,000 in the next three weeks. That number right now stands at just over 307,000. Andrea, back to you. So sad to see what's happening across the country. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. Interior Secretary David Bernhardt has tested positive for COVID-19, but a spokesman for the Interior Department says he's asymptomatic. Bernhardt plans to continue working while in quarantine. He's the latest prominent member of the Trump administration to get the virus. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is also quarantining after coming into contact with someone who had tested positive. The State Department says he had tested negative, but he's following CDC guidelines. And Americans who believe they may have been infected with the coronavirus now have three tests they can use at home. On Wednesday, the Binax Now AG card test received an FDA approval for emergency use. The test, made by Abbott Laboratories, is by prescription only. It costs $25, and it's meant for those individuals who may have had COVID-19 or currently have it. They must be at least 15 years old, and the test can be used only within the first week of showing those symptoms. While this test requires a prescription, the ones approved earlier are available over the counter. Meanwhile, in economic news, applications for U.S. unemployment benefits unexpectedly jumped to the highest level in three months, suggesting the labor market's recovery is faltering amid the surge in COVID-19 cases and widening business closures. Initial jobless claims in regular state programs rose by 23,000 to 885,000 in the week ending on December 12th. The number is nearly four times the pre-crisis level. 
Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, Congress closing in on a new economic relief bill that includes cutting another check to more Americans. Edwin Piti has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin, what do we know? Hi, Andrea. These negotiations have been going on for months, and we could say that finally members of Congress are coming close to reaching a deal. And it seems that is the only option they have, because if a deal is not reached by tomorrow, there could be a government shutdown. However, we do know that lawmakers are trying to extend the shutdown deadline to allow more time for negotiations to secure a deal and push it through the House and Senate. But let's take a look at what the bill includes so far. We're talking about a $900 billion deal. It will give a weekly $300 check for unemployed Americans, a second round of checks for $600, a $300 billion fund for small businesses, and vaccine distribution. But nothing is final until legislative text is released. Take a listen. We are close to an agreement. It's not a done deal yet, but we are very close. Now, for Democrats, this has always been about getting the American people the, re the relief they need at a time of an acute national crisis. We made major headway toward hammering out a targeted pandemic relief package that would be able to pass both chambers with bipartisan majorities. We committed to continuing these urgent discussions until we have an agreement. And we agreed we will not leave town until we've made law. Many things are driving some type of urgency in this negotiation. For example, the Georgia Senate runoff races that could determine the next majority. On a phone call yesterday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell noted multiple times how the topic of direct payment has become a major issue in the race. Members of the left are pushing back on the $600 check for individuals, saying that is not enough for help struggling Americans right now, and that it should be $2,400 per family. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, said it's very unlikely a bill will be presented today, but she believes that a lot of progress is being made. Of course, we'll keep an eye on any development, and we'll be ready to bring you the latest. Live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for bringing us all those developing uh, details. And the Federal Reserve has decided to keep interest rates at rock-bottom levels. Central bank officials made that decision after their latest policy meeting on Wednesday. The committee says rates will likely stay there until the end of 2023 as the economy recovers from this pandemic. Federal Chair Jerome Powell has repeatedly said the central bank, as well as Congress and the White House, may need to do more to help consumers and businesses. A former Trump administration official is urging lawmakers to accept the results of November's election. Chris Krebs was a Homeland Security cybersecurity official before he was fired by President Trump. He was ousted last month after calling the 2020 election the most secure in American history. During a Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee hearing on Wednesday, Krebs defended his statement, saying the election was secure and it was time to welcome the incoming Biden administration. Facebook, meanwhile, has lifted its ban on political ads, but only for the state of Georgia. The social media giant will permit those ads to run on its platform ahead of next month's runoff elections in the Peach State. That means verified political advertisers can resume ads specifically targeting the Georgia races starting Wednesday. Facebook will reject ads targeting locations outside Georgia or those not related to the runoff elections there. And speaking of Georgia, early voting is now underway there for two Senate runoff elections that could mean major changes in Washington. 
Democrats John Osef and Reverend Raphael Warnock are challenging incumbent GOP Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. The races weren't settled in November's election, and that's because no one received a majority of the votes in either contest. If Democrats can flip both seats, they'll be in control of the Senate. And rising Latino voters could be decisive in that Georgia race. Grassroots organizations are now working hard to turn out every single one of those votes come January. And joining me now is Yadira Sanchez. She's the co-executive director of the organization Poder Latina X. Yadira, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me today, Andrea. So your organization is running quite a large effort to get everyone to vote in Georgia, especially young voters. Talk to us about these specific efforts. That is correct. Our organization is dedicated to empowering our community to participate in our democracy. We are very excited to be partnering on a very special project with Las Cafeteras Band and uh, the New Georgia Project to promote uh, early voting in this special round of elections. And I'm excited to share this special sneak peek with you today. Today, Poder Latin X and the organization New Georgia Project are releasing a song by the band Las Cafeteras that you just mentioned to motivate those minority communities, black and brown voters alike. Now, let's go ahead and take a look at that video. That's a cover right now of the Ray Charles song, Georgia on My Mind. Let's see if we pull it up. Go ahead and talk to us. There it is. Talk to us about that song and what it represents, Georgia on My Mind. Yes, this song, uh, we're respectfully uh, releasing a Spanglish version, Georgia On My Mind, uh, blending cultures and genres, the performance of the band uh, Las Cafeteras. Really, it's a way for us to unite black and brown communities in Georgia and really get voters dancing to the polls. Now, there's an estimated 1 million Latinos in Georgia, but only about a third of them are eligible to vote. So exactly what are you seeing in terms of voter enthusiasm in this race, especially because this is the second time people will have to go out there and cast a ballot? We are seeing our community uh, excited to vote, and we're right now uplifting the importance that this Senate runoff election will have, the impact it will have, not for just for Georgians, uh, but for all Latinos across the country. And not only also our Latino community, but all communities of color. So this song, and it, you know, we, we are very um, looking to use this song to promote early voting for the purpose of mobilizing our community to go out and vote early. During this pandemic, we cannot wait till the last minute. Uh, so our partnership today and the release of this movie, this music video is really to unite community, our communities and to empower them to go out and vote early because Georgia will make history again. In the November elections, uh, President-elect Joe Biden flipped Georgia by a slim margin from Republican to Democrat, something that we had not seen happen since 1992. Black and Latino voters played a key role in that victory. And this runoff election is going to be a strength to test that vote. What needs to happen to get the same level of support and perhaps even more? We need to, um, all, everyone who is registered, we need to continue in, uh, connecting with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, urging them to vote on the special runoff election because the future of our country is in our hands. Uh, the new administration um, has the power to 
make a lot of changes for our communities, but we need the Senate. So the, the folks that Georgia, the two senators that get elected in Georgia will really play a key role on the transformation of this country and the direction of the future of our communities. And Yadira, just one more question. Over the last several decades, there's been well-documented evidence of voter suppression and disenfranchisement of the black vote in particular in Georgia. Is this something that we're also seeing with the Latino vote as well? We are seeing a misinformation um, when we're calling voters. There is a, some sense of confusion. This is why we're constantly will be calling and texting, door knocking. Um, our operation started this week. Uh, our door knocking operations, and we're making sure that the electoral information is handed by a trusted partner in the community. Um, so we're working very closely with other partners as well, making sure that we are uh, reaching as many la uh, Latino voters in Georgia to make sure they're getting the correct information, because we are seeing um, misinformation circling right now, our community. Well, thank you so much for your time and providing us with all this information. Yadira Sanchez of the organization Poder Latinx. Have a great day. Thank you. And another election news. Andrew Yang is reportedly starting to do his legwork for a potential mayoral run in New York. According to a source familiar with the conversations, Yang has been reaching out to local leaders, including the Reverend Al Sharpton, to measure their interest in his possible bid. Yang is a tech entrepreneur who ran as an underdog in the Democratic presidential race this year, but he's still got more traction than some better-known candidates. And Yang won the hearts of many Democrats, including his passionate supporters known as the Yang Gang. The Democratic mayoral primary begins in June, and Mayor Bill de Blasio cannot run again because of a two-term limit. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. When Hurricanes Eta and Iota slammed into Central America last month, they caused deadly landslides and rain that submerged entire communities. That destruction is now visible in dramatic drone footage provided by the International Red Cross, which shows homes and fields fully submerged in both Guatemala and Honduras. The Red Cross is calling on the rest of the world to help Central American nations dig out from under the hurricane's paths of destruction. The government of Honduras says some 4.5 million people, half the Honduran population, have been impacted by the hurricanes and their aftermath. Meanwhile, it's now official. El Salvador joining Honduras and Guatemala to become what is known as a safe third country. That means that these Central American countries will take in immigrants who arrive in the United States or at its border to seek asylum or humanitarian protection. Malena Marchan brings us those details. The Cooperation Agreement on Asylum, known as ACA, was ratified by President Nayib Bukele during a visit of the U.S. Interim Secretary of Security Chad Wolf to El Salvador. 
So, on behalf of the Department of Homeland Security and President Trump, I want to thank you for your partnership and excellent collaboration on a number of other issues of mutual interest and cooperation. That means that migrants from other countries will be able to arrive in El Salvador and wait there while their asylum request is processed in the United States. These agreements, these programs have really been an easy decision for us because we have shared interests. We want to lower irregular migration. We both want to reduce and eradicate human trafficking and terrorism. But the director of the Salvadorian Institute for Migrants has a different take of the agreement ratification. We do not have the capacity in the country to receive those who request protection in other countries. Maybe President Byron will not ratify it, because that is one of the worst immigration policies of the Donald Trump administration. The example is Guatemala, according to Cesar Rios, where the failure of these policies has been proven. And it was demonstrated that Guatemala couldn't provide the migrants with social security, economic security or housing security. Reported in El Salvador by Ernesto Rios, this is Malena Marchan for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.